Greetings, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to Botany After Dark. My name is Kate, and I will be your guide for this journey. In light of the ongoing discussions regarding vaping, electronic cigarettes, and tobacco-based products, today we will discuss the history and nature of tobacco. There are many tobacco species native to the Americas, and while most of these are used in traditional medicine and the like, the Nicotania genus type species, Nicotania tobaccum, classified by Linnaeus, is the most notable. As most commercial and practical use is not restricted to this species, for the purposes of this exploration, we will be expanding to other Nicotania species as well. The Nicotania genus is part of the Solanaceae family, like the tomato we discussed a few weeks ago. Like most others in this family, the plant itself is not inherently bad nor damaging. However, while most fear surrounding the tomato has been historically shown to be fallacious, Wariness surrounding tobacco is often very real. Like many psychoactive botanicals, tobacco was initially used in shamanic ritual as both an offering and method to alter the practitioner's mind, making it easier to communicate with the spirit world. This practice is present in most if not all cultures to some degree, the problem, as usual, arises when too much of a substance is encountered. Within tobacco, nicotine is the strongest of those substances, though it does contain several chemicals that also require restraint. While native to the Americas, and tobacco and other species are now grown in several countries, the top five producers being China, Brazil, India, the United States, and Indonesia. In its native range, the archaeological record indicates that tobacco species have been in use to some degree since between 1500 and 1400 BCE. Though sometimes it is used fresh, most often, especially in the case of processing the plant material to smoke it later, the leaves are cured. The most simple manner of curing is an air cure essentially allowing the plant material to dry via airflow and evaporation. With tobacco, this method results in leaves that are low in sugar, high in nicotine, and sweet in flavor. The trick here is to regulate the space's overall humidity, and it is generally advised to hang leaves in a well-ventilated barn or garage where they can be out of direct sunlight and thus not dry too fast. In contrast, traditional tobacco curing utilizes kiln-like curing barns, traditionally called oasts. This food curing originally involved stringing tobacco leaves onto sticks to be hung from tiered poles in the barns. These barns are equipped with flues connected to external fireboxes. Heat curing tobacco in this manner 
allows the leaves to cure while not being directly exposed to smoke nor being dried too fast. This process takes about a week and results in a high sugar, medium to high nicotine tobacco, which is generally used in cigarettes. Also, as this is a wood fire process, it is estimated that for every 300 cigarettes, one tree is felled, causing significant environmental impact. The littering is often cited as a negative environmental impact of cigarette use. This use of natural resources is generally not in the public eye. Also, while monocrop cultivation does not have to result in ecological detriment, this regularly occurs in modern agriculture, regardless of the cultivar, though this is more due to inadequate soil enrichment and the application of unneeded pesticides and herbicides. Additionally, in some regions, child labor is an inherent part of commercial tobacco production, adding to systemic problems and associations in the field. Presently, a large number of tobacco species are grown as ornamental florals, trumpet-shaped flowers often spanning several inches in diameter. These flowers occur in a wide variety of shades, from stark white of the Indian peace pipe and rabbit tobacco, to the light green or bright yellow of the Aztec tobacco, Nicotania rustica, to the deep, dramatic pinks, reds, and burgundies, Nicotania avalon, pink picotti, or the previously mentioned type species, Nicotania tabacum. Due to the wide range of colors, native growing ranges, ecological position, and slight variation in flower morphology, tobacco species provide valuable food sources for native wildlife and pollinators. However, as with all things done in excess, the veritable plantation farming practices conducted by most commercial tobacco producers does not abide by this integrated ecosystem model. Though rarer, some people grow their own tobacco, which limits the plant's exposure to toxins to those administered by their caretakers. The plants are relatively low maintenance and tend to be relatively easy to grow, not requiring large amounts of water nor premium soils. Though this is an alternative, it is also highly labor, time, and space intensive. The plants can be harvested in generally four to six weeks, depending on species, take up a relatively large growing space in full sun, which could easily be used for food crops, and must be dried in particular manners so as not to mold. While there are several ways to dry and further cure tobacco, in all of them, the leaves should be individually separated from the main plant, and when dried, the central vein removed. There is a decline in tobacco use in most areas, often due to both socio-cultural pressure and medical awareness. E-cigarettes and vaping products exist, helping some of the more harmful elements of traditional, commercially available tobacco products to lessen, while still providing a nicotine source for the user. While this is conducive to avoiding harmful additives, the nicotine present in tobacco leaves is present in all species of the genus, hence the scientific name Nicotania. Different species and strains within species often display vastly different concentrations of nicotine, 
Likewise, different processing modes result in variable nicotine content. Consequently, certain curing methods are often associated with particular tobacco products based on flavor, strength, or relative dryness. Nicotine is also a poison in certain contexts and concentrations, and is able to be topically absorbed if it comes into direct contact with skin. This is especially problematic if the nicotine is in liquid form, as that makes its absorption rate much higher and faster. Likewise, neonicotinoids, or neonics, are insecticides that have existed in some form since the 1980s, and have a chemical structure highly similar to that of nicotine. These chemicals have been especially controversial and problematic because while it does not tend to directly poison other wildlife, it is highly effective against insects, which many other species rely on for food. In this vein, there have been correlations found between the presence of neonicotinoids and the breakdown byproducts in areas significantly impacted by honeybee colony collapse disorder. While some bees have been shown to continue with relatively normal life after being subjected to a baseline amount of insecticides, most scientists agree that these compounds have a significant impact on the continued health, wellness, and survival of bee populations worldwide, prompting legislation banning them in several countries. Tobacco is a fascinating plant whose story has become twisted over time, and now is a bane to many. It has a long and storied history in its native range as a peacemaker, mediator, and storyteller. While the current uses and interactions with this plant and its constituent aspects have become toxic, it is important to remember that this is a warped version of the original association. Let me be clear. I am not advocating that people start smoking, chew tobacco, or otherwise use the plant for its mind-altering properties outside of this context. However, remember its origins and know that it is no fault of the plant itself what humans have chosen to do with and to it. The large tobacco giants are the problem, not the plant itself. Like many misused botanicals, tobacco species have truly beautiful flowers and the plants are a food source to and pollinated by many wildlife species, including native bats, butterflies, moths, deer, and various rodents. Well, this brings us to the conclusion of this episode. Should you or someone you know wish to listen to or watch this podcast with subtitles or in closed captioned format, a video version will be uploaded to YouTube shortly accessible through the links below. Likewise, there are links to my blog where I talk more about plants, as well as my Patreon and relevant social media links. To that end, I would like to thank Rob Nelson for being a Patreon supporter. He runs Untamed Science, a channel discussing and supporting biodiversity and conservation efforts, an especially important subject now. Also, if you would like to start your own podcast, I would recommend Pinecast, and has repeatedly demonstrated swift and comprehensive creator support with an easily navigated interface. 
The initial service is free, though it only allows for 10 episodes at a time. If you try Pinecast and decide to upgrade, you can use coupon code R-A19FE9 for 40% off for 4 months and support Botany After Dark. To all my listeners at home, work, or somewhere in between, thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time about the storied history of turnips. It should be an interesting show. Have a good one. This is Kate, signing off.